You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, this is Stuart Wright from the Bullet Fits Podcast, letting you know that this week's episode is a little different from the usual format. We've got three filmmakers previewing their films at Fright Fest 2020, so you'll be hearing from Cult of VHS, Midnight Peep Show, and The Ghostwriter. Plus, there's Paul McAvoy of Fright Fest fame, offering his personal opinion on how to get the best out of attending a festival. On with the show. Uh, my name is uh, Rob Preciado, and I'm, uh, I'm the director of Cult of BHS. The Cult of BHS is a feature-length documentary. It's, uh, it's a love letter to the BHS format that we, most of us, grew up with. And uh, it features uh, interviews with collectors, uh, film directors, and BHS enthusiasts. And uh, we have like a different things that uh, the documentary covers us, like uh, BHS art. Uh, of course, uh, we we had to talk about the video nasties and, and yeah, it's a, it's a nostalgic kind of a documentary. But I think it's a, it's also like a a very interesting group of people. The initial idea I had is like uh, I wanted to make a documentary that, that had like this uh, global vision uh, of uh, of the VHS format and the pop culture around it. Uh, but as the documentary, you know, where as uh, as, 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 as I was the, the, as I was developing the documentary and starting, uh, you know, to getting to know this group of people. Well, as as I was starting to making this uh, documentary with that idea in mind, uh, and me- meeting uh, this amazing group of people that I was uh, interviewing. 
I wanted to have like uh, this uh, optimistic and uplifting feeling about watching a movie because I was I was going to, into a depression during during lockdown as most of us were. So it was uh, a way for me also to to feel uh, you know that I was doing something for fun, something uh, that people could relate to. There are there are a few of them. And I'm actually very excited that it's very exciting for me uh, to this day that we. I, I I I like to feel like I'm in this uh, stage of still discovering films. So in a way, this documentary, like you were saying, it gave me that back to the the, the feeling of, of excitement to to hunt those those films. But uh, there was there was this guy, this amazing uh, this, uh, film director that was talking about um, shot on video uh, uh, features that I didn't see at the time. There, there's a, a one that uh, I think it's so funny and interesting. It's, it's called uh, Blonde Dead. That is a very weird film. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see that. And, and, and a lot of uh, uh, films that I actually missed during that time. So it's, just, it's exciting to... to for me, it's exciting not to be like the, the guy who watches all the films. So um, I like to keep in this, uh, you know, this atmosphere that I'm looking forward to always discover this amazing film around the corner. That's what keep you keeps you going, you know, look into, you know, in the excitement of, of having that discovering that next film. Maybe you, if your next film that you see is like boring or it's not what you expected, but in the back of your mind, you have this. Uh, feeling about that. I'm going to find this jewel, you know, it's this amazing uh, film that it's, I, I'm going to remember, you know. Uh, actually, a good comparison uh, for me, like I was saying, like, this was uh, like my um, trying to, to have the, like this global global vision about the, the format, but there's this uh, very interesting documentary called Rewind This, I guess it's from 2012, 13. So it's it's almost like ten years old. So I, that documentary is it, it has like uh, that they were interviewing people from Japan and you know, actually I guess from England. So it was it, that would be like a good comparison because most of the documentaries is, are more like uh, have like this like this American take on the on the subject. So rewind this. I, I would highly recommend that documentary. Uh, my favorite memory about uh, shooting a, a documentary, I guess it was when I was interviewing like Graham Humphries, the, the famous uh, artist, you know, for, for the iconic posters from, from the 80s. And it was very exciting for me. I was blown away that we were talking about, you know, the, the, the Evil Dead uh, movies. And uh, he made like the, this amazing artwork for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So I was thrilled to have him and he was so sweet very kind and it was amazing and, and another favorite uh, moment would be like uh, we was we were interviewing this guy from from Spain that he uh, collects like workout videos he, he was uh, we were laughing the whole shoot with this guy so the where I think the, the next the moments I remember at the top of my head the moment I'm looking forward to seeing the most with an audience is actually, like I was saying, this guy from from Spain. I don't know how the audience would 
would react to this, to to his interview, because uh, you know, it's uh, in another language, but I think it is it's still funny, and uh, that's one um, the most I'm looking for to. And this there's this uh, amazing guy who is uh, who actually he, he, his name is uh, Kevin Martin, and he um, has like this actual video store in in, in Canada. So this guy is very passionate. I, I won't say much about him. So, so you can discover uh, his story in, in the film. But he, that guy is so passionate and amazing also. So I, I wonder how the audience will take him, you know. Who, I wonder how the audience will react to him also. I Actually, I don't have like any tips on festival because it's my actual big international festival. So... I'm open to to hear more from you for for like tips for you know for rookies or uh, I, I don't have like a like a much much of experience but I'm very excited to be you know one of the most important amazing film uh, film festival areas like Fright Fest. I am Errol Anthony Hales and I'm producer on the film Midnight Peep Show, co-screenwriter and director of the segment Personal Space. Midnight Peep Show, in brief, is about a man who stumbles across a phantom peep show booth in London's Soho. He finds it, or it finds him, and inside, through the peephole, three separate booths show him a story about sexual fantasies that go wrong. The third is his own story. The kernel of the idea for Midnight Peep Show came from remembering those now lost Soho Peep Show booths and fusing a Twilight Zone element into them, where through the Peep Show holes, clients are shown stories that encompass a nightmare side of sexual fantasy. So there was a desire also to ramp up the horror within that concept. So some recent horror we feel could cut a little bit deeper. We love things like David Cronenberg, and we just wanted to plunge a little deeper into the darkness, really. Uh, a key influence, rather than comparison to the film, uh, would be a number of things, from Gaspar Noe's Climax, which we all loved at Fright Fest, to Eyes Wide Shut, to The Twilight Zone, to Black Mirror, extreme cinema in general, be that psychological extremes, seen in films like Funny Games or the blood-soaked extremes of Dario Argento or the uncanny mood extremes of David Lynch. My favourite memory of the Midnight Peep Show shoot was having a curry with Zach Galligan from Gremlins. So he was the voice of our games master in the centre story. I love Gremlins and I really love curry too. So a curry with Billy from Gremlins was too much for my brain to take. There are lots of moments that I'm looking forward to seeing with an audience in Midnight Peep Show. Without wanting to put any part of the film under pressure, let's just say that I believe there is something for everyone in here, moment-wise. My number one tip for film festival rookies coming to Fright Fest, which is the best of all festivals out there with the best audience, um, would be to go to the pub after the movies and meet other fans and film creators. 
because horror is known for having an amazing community of people. And it's partly that which elevates our genre over so many others. The only other thing that I'd like to say about the film that I haven't yet been able to say is that it was really, people talk about collaboration all the time. And when you've got four directors as part of a horror port mantel, exploring the dark side of sexual fantasy, that is really needed for a topic like that and for the breadth of creative scale needed. So it was really fun to have four directors kind of pour their dark hearts into this Valentine to the dark side. Uh, my name's Paul Wilkins. I'm, I'm the director of the film The Ghostwriter. The Ghostwriter is about a failed novelist who's been told by his agent he's in Last Chance Saloon. He needs a hit novel uh, in order to save his career. So he decides to decamp back to his old family home where, where his father died under mysterious circumstances. And his father was a very successful writer. And he always lived in, a, in, in his father's shadow. And he goes back to the cottage to try and summon his muse. And um, he's freaked out by the reminders of when he was there as a kid. And so he struggles to get this thing going. And then one night he gets very drunk and uh, he discovers this unfinished manuscript, which turns out to be his father's unfinished novel. Um, and he decides it's much better than anything he can write himself. So he, he, he decides to plagiarise it. And as soon as he does that, the characters from the book come to life to haunt him. And it turns out it's, it's kind of a semi-confessional written by his father that implicated his father in the middle of the murder. The initial inspiration in terms of story, storytelling, really, I think... Um, probably came from the theme, you know, the, the idea that the, the pursuit of success uh, at all costs leads to self-destruction uh, and probably re- really quite reflective of our own struggles as, as, as writers and directors and, you know, this, this is extraordinary compulsion we will have as, to suffer as artists, really. And that, that's, that, that was, I think, was certainly the kernel for it. And then, a tra- you know, it's a tragedy effectively. So again, I think that lends itself wonderfully to the genre of horror, and specifically, or particularly, I would say, psychological horror, which I think this is what this film is, or psychodrama. I think I mean, called it as well. I think that's a fair, fair description of it, really. I, I mean, there's 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 a lot of influences. I think you know, as soon as you. you from, from the writing and then when you get into directing it, you start to think of um, obviously lots of references. But I think The Shining is an obvious one. Maybe Misery uh, is another. But, it's, but really a lot of, many of great horror films that are fantastic and making you feel uh, discombobulated or unnerved or something is off kilter. You know, Polanski's Repulsion, uh, for example, the sort of, idea of the unchecked uh, neglected trauma that rears its head and causes you know spiral into madness and there's a really good reference the innocence jack clayton's innocence the, the ghosts of the past there's a danish film called next door i forget who the director is but i was watching that at the time um i really like that and that's a, a, a again about a man who's haunted by the, by his past um it follows uh, I really love that film. And this idea there's something that's coming. You know, David Mitchell says, I think it was this it is kind of anyone 
It could be anyone, you know, anyone you know. And I like that idea of of um, just this off of this off kilter, off balance world. Really, it comes at night. Was another one. I really, I think it's a great film. Trey Schultz, uh director. So a lot of stuff, really. But I, I, I just kind of. What I'm like is I, I, when I'm doing a project, I just dig and dig and excavate and, and try and find references that, that that resonate from all sorts of all sorts of places, really. But uh, I could probably go on and on about that, if I'm honest. Um, don't look now. I don't know if it's even... I can't say I'm not influenced by that. I don't know if it's in the film, but for me, it's one of the greatest horror films ever made. Uh, well, working with working with Robin Wenry, the DOP, we spent months uh, really planning this out, planning the shoot, shot lists, storyboards, you know. And often you do that, and you think, well, how much of this is actually going to make it through, you know? And, 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 and it was it was really quite a joy to kind of see a lot of that translated really well, you know. Um, that was good. Happiest memory. I, I mean, <laughs> there was one night we went. We, we filmed in the middle of the Cotswolds in this cottage in the middle of nowhere. And we went out, we, we had to shoot in the, and it's acres and acres of farmland. And uh, there's a sequence in the film that you might recall that we had, we, we had to shoot in this, in this kind of ter- this, this terrain. We we're, were out for hours looking for this, this um, perfect location for this sequence. And it was getting dark. So we just, we just thought we gave up so we went we went back to the back to the cottage as soon as I got back I, I realized I'd lost my keys the keys to my car not only is it my car or was my car my beloved old Mercedes classic sky blue which is in the film um it was the car in the film so we needed it my keys had gone I was, I was epileptic you know and so Robert and I went back guided by Robin's um, sixth sense we would literally walk for maybe 20 minutes and he, he, he turned left, he saw this glint in the light and he, he picked the keys out from the undergrowth. It was just a miracle. It was a miracle. Um, so that's probably, I'm not, sure that was what the, I'm not sure that was the answer you're looking for, but that was a very happy memory. Um, there were some great sequences that, that, that paid off. I got the, the actors gave me a present halfway through, which is very nice. Um, shoot got a little bit tougher after that, but yeah, I mean, there was there was there was some good moments. There was some there was some good moments, but it's it's um, and the other thing I think about our planning with 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 Robin in particular is that I remember the first AD coming out to me and saying that we were really getting through it, you know, really being efficient. So that that was that was nice to hear. A scene that springs to mind is is um, when the protagonist Gilligan Graham, uh, our writer gets uh, gets into a situation of a life or death situation, really. And um, you don't think he's going to get out of it. I'm not even saying if he does get out of it, actually. It's a ghost story, let's not forget. Um, but he finds a very unique way uh, of trying to get out of this um, life-threatening predicament. My tip is see as many films as you can. Be open-minded. Don't, pre- don't prejudge. Seek out films you might otherwise bypass uh, and you might find some in, you know in, inspiring surprises I see my friend uh, Ben Parker's film uh, Burial there's another film um, oh my gosh I wrote it down Hasera 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 
Michelle Severa is a Mexican. I've heard a lot of good stuff about her as a director, and I'm really keen to see that. But I just think go and have some fun and, and just, you know, see as many of your films as you can. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is one of the four horsemen of Fright Fest, Paul McElvoy. Welcome to the show. Hello, Stuart. Lovely to be with you today. What we're going to do is we're going to go over uh, some film festival tips that you kindly put up on uh, Facebook for everyone to see and just uh, sort of go over them. But before we do, obviously, you're, you're a veteran of, uh, of the film festivals. And to give people a sort of inside track on, on the life of someone programming a festival with, I think it's 85 slots you've filled this year? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Which is a lot of slots to fill when you start off with them. I imagine the blank bit of paper looks a bit horrible at the start. I mean, to be honest with you, Stuart, there's never a blank piece of paper because um, it's it takes a year or, as I sometimes say, 23 or 24 years to put it together because we're already thinking about titles for next August. And obviously, we've nearly finished the programming for the Halloween extravaganza, which is going to be two days at the end of October. And then we've got Glasgow in February, March. So... It's not only about titles for the the August event. It's it's a never ending thing. You know, certain films aren't ready for August, so they're going to fall into October. Certain movies aren't going to be ready for October, so they're going to fall into March, February, March in Glasgow, part of the Glasgow Film Festival. And of course, we're already semi looking at stuff for next year. So it never ends. Literally, it's a never ending process. We never draw the line and go right. We've done that one. On to the next. It's a, it's a organic uh, process, you know. But for you then, in in any given calendar year, how many festivals are you going to then? As part of your, as part of your uh, your fright fest work, or just you as a film fan? Um, that again, that varies. Depends upon budget, as in what I've got to spend to be able to go away. Um, Can is a given. That's a really really important one for us. Alan usually does Berlin. I think I'll be in Berlin next year obviously we do love to attend and support as many other genre events worldwide as we possibly can everything from uh CGS and in certain years fantastic fest or toronto with midnight madness um and obviously there's a lot of uk festivals that have sprung up now as well i know ian did the rounds last year he went and visited quite a few of the northern um, festivals as well because we like to support as much as possible although people think it's a very political game which it can be for people fighting over premierships and stuff like that it's actually much more of a supportive network where when it comes to um we can i have meetings with um peter kaplowski who runs midnight madness and um angel who's the festival director of sieges and we each bring to the table, movies that we've seen, ones that we're going to premiere, ones that they're going to premiere. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful kind of global community. We're all fans at heart, and, and we share information, and we share films, and we share programming tips as much as possible. Like you say, it's a rolling programme, but I'm guessing in any given year, there's always, there's always room for that surprise discovery, the... The film you didn't know was coming, and then you're like, "This is the film for us." Yeah, I mean, definitely, there's loads like that. I mean, there's so many. You have one unheard message. 
Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. So many that we either we didn't expect to get or it took us a lot of fighting, a lot of hard work to be able to secure the premieres of, of certain of the films. So, yeah. But even even just unearthing something, never mind the sort of competitive side of it, but just, you know, that gem that you didn't even know existed kind of thing. Of course. I mean, that, that's why we our submissions process primarily is through Film Freeway for brand new films, you know, ones that we from filmmakers we don't know their mm. works. And this year, for example, every year, we it's like sifting for gold. Myself and Alan watched the lion's share of the Film Freeway stuff. Ian Rattray takes care primarily of the um, uh, the UK stuff, because mm. he's looking for the blood uh, talent um, pieces. Mm. But it's always a great thing when you discover a film from a filmmaker or from a country that we weren't aware of, and we watch it, and we're like, wow, yeah, it's in. It's it's great. I mean, amazing. Can you think of any examples from, from this year's programme that, that, that sort of came in that sort of inauspicious route? One that really does spring to mind. I'm just pulling it up on my list so I don't get the director's name um, incorrect. So we'll look, yeah, New Religion, which came through the free, Film Freeway submissions process. Japanese director called Keishi Kondo. And I've likened it in my Twitter posts to a combo of David Lynch and David Cronenberg. World premiere, he's going to be coming in for it. The film's extraordinary. Um, I've watched it a few times and I can't wait to watch it again. And that was a real discovery for us. Really love it. And I hope it connects with the audience. So, yeah. And, and of course, I think you know me well enough, two of my favourite filmmakers of all time are David Lynch and David Cronenberg. So it ticked those, those boxes for me, you know? No, I've seen the trailer for that one and I'm excited to see it, I must admit. Right then, sir. Let us jump into your film festival tips. I'll I'll uh, read off what you what you what your brief advice was, and then you just respond to what it was that you were you were sort of getting at with it. Okay, okay, I'll do my best. Oh, all right. <laughs> For when and if you are selected by any festival, have your high res on set pics ready to go. Not back, not uh, behind the scenes. No one cares. And poster art, even if it's temporary, is good. But make it good, great, impactful. You'd be surprised, and I've done a lot of panels, uh, physical panels about about this in in person around the country, at, around the world. In fact, 
Um, you'd be surprised how many uh, submissions we get through Film Freeway where they don't have any uh, on-set high-res picks. And I know that a lot of these films are low budget or short films can be low budget, but get somebody in that can take a decent photograph, even if it's just for one morning when you're shooting a few of the key scenes, don't bother sending behind-the-scenes photos of here's me with the cast directing whatever. As, as I said, nobody cares. You care. If you're a filmmaker, you care about that picture. But that's no good for publicity, promotional use, is it? You need a great quality, impactful still of the feature. Not a screen grab. You know, not a high red because you can tell when it's a screen grab. And it's a, it's a really, you know, basic thing. But you'd be surprised how many folks get it wrong or they just don't have an on-set photographer. But cameras these days, I mean, crikey, most people's phones have a good enough resolution uh, camera within it to be able to take a good good screen, you know, not a good screenshot, but a good on-set picture. Um, poster art, I love. I mean, I, and I always think it's, when, they, when it works, it can be a beautiful, beautiful representation of the film. Um, but that's a different thing. That's not quite as crucial as the as the onset as the onset still. But I think a, po- a good poster is a very crucial factor of the promotion and the marketing of any picture. Um, would you not agree? Oh no, totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it usually it usually speaks to the tone. It usually speaks to maybe the influences. So it it sort of does a lot of heavy lifting for your film because people are going to be, most people are going to be coming to it new. So you need, you, you, it, the more you can help people understand what your film is, the easier it's going to be to get them over the door. And talking of which, um, engage with your audience via social media, drum up promo for your screening. It doesn't cost you anything, I guess, beyond time. Encourage people to come along and engage with the account of the festival you're screening at. As you mentioned, how many films are we showing? You know more than me. There's a, there's 85 <laughs> slots you've you've filled with. 85. With... So, so you've got 80 or 85 slots, and then you've got all the short films as well, so you've got yeah. 30, 40 films. To make a noise, I would suggest to encourage the audience members to come along. Get on Twitter, get on Facebook, get on Instagram, and engage not only with the fans, which are really important, but other filmmakers, you know, encourage people to come and see your film. And, and I can't remember whether I even listed it as, you know, later on. The other thing is when you're at the festival, if you can attend and promote yourself and promote your screening to other folks, encourage people to come along to support your screening. And not only that, really, really, again, I might be second guessing what, what, what you're going to say later, but... Um, not only come to your own screening and watch your own screening, go to other filmmakers' screenings and support them. And that really works. You look at Ben Wheatley, The Year of Kill List. He was in screens watching as much as he possibly could, engaging with both the filmmakers and the audience. And, of course, he loves genre. And John Landis, I mean, the list goes on. Guillermo, when he... Guillermo wanted to watch as many films. You know, it makes sense, doesn't it? Not to just come along, here's my film, goodbye, everybody, that was it. You know, <laughs> come along. If it's, just, if, it's, if it's just hanging out and having a few beers. And, but it's it's more important, isn't it, to support and encourage 
other filmmakers' works. Look at Twitter now with folks like Scott Lias and um, Liam and stuff, Liam Riggan. They're all, they're all interacting with both the fans and other filmmakers. They're coming, they're supporting, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're an actor or an actress or editor or a, a DOP, again, come to the festival. Every, as you know, Stuart, everybody hangs out. Mm. After the screening, everybody's talking. And then maybe it's the Imperial, maybe it's the Phoenix, maybe it's elsewhere. But people are interacting and that's how films get made and that's how, how friendships are, are, are made, etc. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It should, it should be common sense. I think. I think this is common sense, isn't it? No, no. Well, it is. That's why I wanted. To, that's why I wanted to, to draw attention to it because because I think so many people think it's complicated or you've got to be too cool for school or whatever it might be. But they're all mistaken. It's like the survival of festivals is is built on the enthusiasm of those either attending or exhibiting because they make up the mass number. There's only so much you can do from a festival point of view as a central thing, giving out a message. Actually, all the other messages that all the other people that are want that want this festival to thrive is is going to create the noise you want, isn't it? Because there can be nothing worse, can there? If you if you turn up, say you've got a film in the festival, Stuart, and for whatever reason you haven't done any promotion, you haven't you haven't supplied us with a really good poster, you haven't gone online, and if not many people come, why should they? Because yeah, we, we try to encourage as many people to come as possible. We can't do all of the work. Mm. You have to, you know, you can't be sat there saying, well, why is it so quiet when you've done fuck all to, to promote Absolutely. your own kick, you know? Well, well look, you, 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 uh, you nicely covered number three there, which was support. The next one is still, is still linked to promo. So if you can or can't attend, then send or bring some promo stuff, badges, T-shirts, posters, anything. Even something tiny can make a massive difference. I mean, badges are always really good, as I gave the quote with uh, Here Comes Hell. Mm. But look at the retaliators last year, because um, the marketing department behind that, were, uh, they come from the music background, they they understand the importance of merchandise. So they, they sent us like uh, a thousand caps and a thousand T-shirts and... It was like amazing merch. But honestly, I know that not everybody can afford a thousand caps and a thousand t-shirts and a thousand of this. But pin badges or, or postcards or posters do not cost a fortune. Even t-shirts, if you get enough made, they're not going to break the bank, are they? You know. So yeah, just promote. You know, again, it's all great promotion, isn't it? Great publicity. Imagine if it rains. Imagine if it rains this year, like it always does in Cannes. Although it didn't this year, if you if you produced um, this is good, this is doing the can route now. Imagine you've got a film in can or a film that you're trying to um, get financed for or whatever, and you can afford to make five thousand umbrellas and you give them away in can. So everybody in Cannes has got your, the umbrella for your film, right? Same at, at Fright Fest. It's probably going to rain at least one of the days. If you want to produce an umbrella for us to give out which would be promoting your film, everybody's going to have your film, whatever it may be, you know, in their hands. But it's down to budget, I guess. I know this from fellow, from uh, from other festival programmes I've spoken to and festivals I've attended. Don't keep chasing badgering about whether your film has been selected or not. And don't be upset or take it personally if you aren't selected. There are always reasons why. It's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because obviously 
if you put your heart, soul, money, passion, time into producing something, you're going to take things personally if you're not selective. Mm. But angry emails do not help, do they? And also persistent emails as to why, 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 what what were you thinking, etc. Sometimes you just, it's like in life, isn't it? If you go for a job interview, you can't really fire off an email saying, why the hell did you select me for this job? Um, but it's even more tricky and delicate, isn't it, with filmmakers? Because if if your latest opus, which you think or believe to be brilliant, is brilliant, it will find its legs in another festival. It will find it will, it will find its home. Mm. But more importantly, what about your next project or the project after, where we might really love it? But then, as you said, somebody's going to remember. Oh my god, that person on on email or on Facebook message. That mm. seems to be the the one that I seem to get a lot of, is they're going to remember, aren't they? Christ almighty, this person was a bloody nightmare. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's the tricky, it's the thin line, isn't it? It's good to be passionate, but sort of rein it in a bit if you can. Yeah, no, that makes sense. For short filmmakers especially, if you don't get selected and you can attend, then you can see what the programme has selected and then that can maybe inform what you do next. Um, Sheila Rowan Legg. Um, selects the lion's share of our shorts. She, she puts all the short film programs together. There's a couple of shorts which I've selected, which are going to be shown before a couple of the features, mm. but most of the stuff's done by her. So if, for example, there's a vampire comedy splatter short that she loves, and then you've made a comedy vampire splatter short that she doesn't love as much, she can't program both can she (laughs) and also i think that the key element which i didn't mention because again it should be fairly um self-explanatory you wouldn't believe the amount of short films that we get that are over 20 minutes long which it's impossible to screen them as part of a showcase because if you've got 90 minutes or 100 minutes maximum you can't overbalance it by having a 20 minute piece Mm. and then a bunch of other shorts and also if you're if, if that 20-minute film, which could be a masterpiece, goes on before a feature, most people in the audience are wanting to watch the feature. They don't want to sit through, no matter how good it is or whatever, a 20-minute short. So it's very, very difficult to program. So shortness is better. Eight to 12 minutes maximum, maybe six or seven, but eight to 12 is the, the sweet spot in terms of length for a short. That's my... That's my opinion. Well, no, it's, it's a common opinion, and I don't know why it doesn't seep through more to people. I don't understand how you can't just do the maths in your head, that 90 minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes a film gives you nine films. If you make them longer, you sh- you've got less and less. It just <laughs> it makes perfect yep. sense to me. Um, yeah. And, and I, this I find odd, but I, I imagine this is based on experience. So if you do get selected for shorts and, and attend, don't walk out with your with your with your cast and crew and friends once your short has played. I think I don't even need to add anything to that. That's and it's happened. It really has happened, and that's not great, is it? Again, Stuart, if you were sat waiting for your short to play, and then eight people, six people, four people, or three people walk out for for reasons other than you know needing to, or don't particularly like the showcase or need to go somewhere else or whatever, it's obvious, isn't it? When a whole swathe of people, you're going to. Royally pissed off, aren't you? You're not going to be happy. So it's just, you know, 
courtesy and general manners. A nice segue into don't be a dick. Moaning at festival programmers to why your opus wasn't selected never goes down well. I think we covered that one, mate. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting that that you might get the email, but then the idea that you would that 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 you would be at a festival and then collar them blows my mind. This this why this why I was quite I was, it was it was quite illuminating reading your list because you know, obviously some of it, like you say, is just common sense, but others I was like, really, people do that? I mean, as far as I understand filmmaking, it's a long game. It's not. It's not like mm. a snap decision, you know. You, your your presence in the industry is is kind of earned, and your reputation is all, isn't it? Audiences, if you like something, great. If you don't, great. We all have different opinions, but don't be a dick, especially online or in person to the filmmakers. Now, this one's a bit difficult because um, everybody is entitled to their own opinion, and that's good. So I'm not being the dictator and saying you cannot slag off a film online. But there's ways of doing it where it's not personal and you know what it's like. Luckily, nine times out of ten, I think, with the Frightfest audience, they are respectful and they are respectful online. It's just occasionally the line does get crossed, but thank goodness it doesn't too much because you look at other, you know, crikey, thank God we're not screening any Marvel or DC stuff. You know what I mean? The, you know, the trolls and the fans and, the, and all that stuff. It's just... Yeah, life's too short, isn't it? I'd much rather be celebrating a film than kicking one. I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's really easy, isn't it, to go online or 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 in person and slag off a film and say, oh, yeah, that was shit. But it's all down to individual taste, isn't it? I mean, it's what I like, you, you're you not going to like sometimes, and what there's going to be a lot of stuff we both like. So I think, you know, and that's the same with the festival. And again, I've said this before, if you like werewolves and like comedies, go and see the werewolf comedy movie. If you don't like werewolf comedies, you read the synopsis or even the title of the film, don't go and see it. You know, we, there's another few choices of, you know, if you don't like werewolf comedies, there's probably a serious, you know, French film which we're screening, which isn't a comedy at the same time. Just choose wisely. I think I'm going ahead ahead of the, the, the rules, aren't I? Horror is a broad church, as as Fright Fest and Titches and everywhere else that programs horror proves every year. So why would you expect to find your horror just by walking in the room for the next film that's on with you know completely uninformed? It's interesting, Stuart. Interesting, Stuart. You use the word horror because I, again, I, I can't remember whether I wrote this, but Fright Fest is isn't never has been a pure horror festival. Okay, we probably should call it Fantasy Fest or. Fantastic Fest, which again that that came to be, but it's it would be boring, wouldn't it? If we had eighty five hardcore gore splatter horror movies every year, we had science fiction, fantasy, thriller, everything from Hans Labyrinth to Nolan's Insomnia to Donnie Darko. These aren't horror films. Mm. There's a whole bunch this year which we're screening which aren't horror. We are a reflection of what's being made this year more than any other year, and nothing to do with. Alan's role in the Trieste Science Plus Fiction Film Festival. He's the festival director of that. There's a lot of science, there's a lot of great science fiction stuff. So it, there's it's not just Fright Fest. Fright Fest is genre horror, science fiction, fantasy, and thriller. Mm. You are the dark heart of cinema, not the not the home of horror, as you was once. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, there's there's a film there's a film that's playing on the main screen. Incredible but true. Which is oh, which is astounding, yeah. but it's not a horror film. 
No, goodness me, there's loads on. But if you do want a diet of pure horror for five days, it's there for you. Mm. But you're going to have to go to the discovery screens and read the, the Alan's blurb, whatever. That's fine. I mean, we all, I love horror, but I wouldn't want to sit for five days and watch the horror only. It's got to be a lovely mix, a wild mix of stuff, you know? Now, this is one of the one of the reasons why I guess a lot of people come back to Fright Fest and, and and other festivals that they're loyal to is be kind online, in person, say hello to the person in the queue next to you, sat beside you, smile if you're too shy. Cool, we understand. And I think that's I mean, I was lucky enough to be a sort of sleepy queue veteran. And I've I met people in the sleepy queue that I'm friends with still. Yeah, I think that one's self-explanatory as well. So in short, have fun. Be kind, support to your fellow filmmakers, audience members, and the event itself. Be a decent human being. It can't be that hard, can it? <laughs> True. Well, look, that's uh, that's the list. Uh, that, that was really great to go through it and uh, ref- to reflect on. I thought it was really useful and a, and, a, and a timely reminder. We mentioned, we touched on a few films that are going to be playing at Fright Fest that you've, you've already highlighted in the context of the advice. But just generally speaking... Do you want to just point out some of the things that you're most excited for uh, for the Frightfest audience to see in 2022? Well, I think the most exciting thing, Stuart, is going to be seeing you again face-to-face. That's the deal. No. Well, of course, apart from that. Um, no, I think, look, the films are exciting. The guests are incredibly exciting. But the most exciting thing is seeing people in person that we haven't seen for many years or first-timers. But... I think it's the community. That's the thing about Fryfest specifically. Mm. Other festivals have a great community, but Fryfest one, the, the community is extraordinary. So that's what I can't wait for is the Thursday night when everybody's coming back together or coming there for the first time. Electrifying atmosphere. The films are great. I mean, we've got some amazing stuff and amazing films this, this year. Way too many to even list off. Otherwise, we'll be here all day and all night. Um, but no, I, I just want people to have a really good time. I think it's going to be it's going to be wonderful this year. Indeed. Well, look, it does now give me a great pleasure to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Sir. Great to spend some time with you. Can't wait to see you in person. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.